When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of Rudder Dead is sponsored by Book Riot Insiders. Struggling to keep up with the latest releases? Want to keep an eye on what's coming out in the next few months for work or your own personal pre-ordering needs? If you need help turbocharging your TBR, Book Riot Insiders is here for you. Our new release index, available at the novel level for just $5 a month, is curated by resident velocity reader Liberty Hardy from the All the Books podcast. She keeps track of the most exciting books pre-publication so that you can browse them, know when your favorite author's next novel hits stores, or find your next favorite read. Go to insiders.bookriot.com to sign up today. Welcome to Red or Dead, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the world of mysteries and thrillers. This is episode 51, and we are recording on Tuesday, May 7th. I'm Katie McLean Horner, along with Rincey Abraham, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. Hey, Katie. Hi, Rincey. How are you? I'm actually doing pretty good. How are you? I'm not doing good. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, I, that sounds terrible. But no, I, I feel like today I am just really struggling with, like, basic things about, you know, like, just the basic things that you need to know and do and say in order to be considered a functioning human being within life in the workplace. Um, so nothing major. I'm just, I'm just not feeling with it today. I feel like there's a bunch of ping pong balls just ricocheting around in my skull right now. Yeah, I understand that happens. You know, I feel like that's a part of being an adult is sometimes you just have those really off days. <laughs> Oh my gosh, my parents were really good at hiding that though, because my mom, my mom always tells me she's like, "Well, you never really feel like an adult." I'm like, "Well, you guys could have fooled me." So yeah, um, seriously. But yeah, no, I I know I told you this this story before we started recording, but today for the first time, I accidentally left the silver put the silverware in the microwave while I was heating up my food. Thankfully, nothing happened. So if you were curious about whether or not um, if you put a steak knife in the microwave for 30 seconds at 50% power. Will it blow up your microwave? Possibly not. A heavy emphasis on possibly. Possibly. <laughs> please do not try that at home. I really do not recommend it. Um, and it was it was like in the last couple of seconds, I'm like, wait a minute. I don't think I took the knife off the plate and I opened it and I just went, oh my God. <laughs> and then I just felt like I had, to ra- I had to rationalize to my husband. I was just like, I swear I'm a competent person. I've never done this before. I mean, I'm pretty sure, like, at least it was a knife, because I'm pretty sure it's the forks that you have to be con- the most concerned about, because I think they start, like, sparking almost immediately or something, so. <laughs> but what's what's the difference between a fork and a knife? Like, I mean, they're both made of metal. I mean, I don't know. I'm gonna, I can make up something right now about how, like, the tines and the fork probably, like, do something to each other to cause, like, sparking or something like that. That sounds like a credible thing, but it's probably not true, because I was a journalism major. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, part of it also might be that the steak knife had a plastic handle on it, so that might have helped a little bit. Yeah, that might help. But anyway, the takeaway from this is do not try that at home. Please learn from my mistakes. (laughs) (laughs) Or almost mistakes, because again, nothing burned down. 
That's true. I that's true. But I let me just say I just I hope everyone listening is feeling a little bit more competent and sure of themselves than I am right now. <laughs> or at least finds comfort in knowing that they're not alone. That too. Or you're doing a really good job at putting on a good face for everyone else around you. So <laughs> solidarity. <laughs> okay, so when uh when we're not, you know, possibly blowing up our microwaves, um, we're talking about mysteries and suspense. And so thankfully, that's what we're going to talk about for the rest of this episode. So if you are new to the show, welcome. I hope I did not give you a terrible first impression. If you are a longtime listener, thank you so much, as always, for sticking with us. We appreciate it so much. This is, as always, the part of the show where we ask our listeners to uh, contribute to the show. Let us know if you if there are any questions, uh, reading recommendations, uh, news releases, anything along those lines that that uh, that you've heard about or that you think might be interesting for us to talk about. Because chances are we could feature it on an upcoming episode of the podcast. It really helps us plan out our episodes. We love hearing uh, a lot of your ideas. We've read some really interesting things based on questions and suggestions that you guys have had in the past. So um, so yes, as always, um, we put that out at the beginning of the show. We'll have our contact information at the end. So uh, make sure to jot that down and, uh, you know, let us know if there's something on your mind, even if you don't have an idea, just, you know, reach out and say hi, because we're friendly people. And we like and we like talking to our listeners very much. I guess with that, since I'm on a roll, I'll just go ahead and jump into our, our news segment. There's there's a lot going on. We're going to get into some of the stuff that's been going on. Um, first up, there is a trailer for the adaptation um, of the Shirley Jackson novella, We Have Always Lived in the Castle. So we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Um, the adaptation is going to be starring Tessa Farmiga, who I know best from her recurring roles on American Horror Story. I know that she has done other things that are just not coming to my mind right now. But if you watch American Horror Story, you should re- you should recognize her. And uh, also starring Crispin Glover, which automatically just makes me go, ugh. Um, <laughs> I don't know. He just, like, he just ups the creepy factor for me. If, if you have read the We Have Always Lived in the Castle, which I read, I believe, yeah, it was earlier this year. I listened to it on audio. Um, which it was a very interesting read um, and listen. So if Shirley Jackson or that that type of story is up your alley, you can uh, read the book uh, before the movie comes out. If you've already read the book, well, you can put this movie on your radar. Before you go on, I just want to say uh, it's coming out in theaters and video on demand on May 17th. And also it has Sebastian Stan, aka Bucky Barnes in the movie. So thank you. Yeah, so May 17th, very soon. Um, so put that on your immediate radars then. And now to jump to a completely different topic. Um, while I was doing research for other Book Riot projects, I came across this article slash book list on Crime Reads, which is a really great resource. I use it for, um, for a lot of the uh, book lists that I do for Book Riot for upcoming mysteries and stuff like that. They have really interesting articles. It's a really great resource. But I came across this list that gave me pause um, where they talk about uh, they talk about defining the great hipster mystery, and the author said is is basically saying, hey, is the hipster mystery a thing? The hipstery? And my immediate answer was no, no, it is not. It is not a thing. Why did someone even think of this? Thankfully, on second reread, the author is doing this with a with a tongue in cheek attitude, which was very much a relief. 
<laughs> because, you know, sometimes, like, sometimes publishers will come up with really awful things that they, it's like, oh, this is the new big thing in publishing. Like, I remember when it was kind of around the time when Gone Girl and Psychological Suspense, especially Psychological Suspense written by women that featured primarily female characters, was some people in the publishing world were referring to it as chick noir. And I was like, nope, burn it with fire. Nope, we're not having this. This is awful. Um, so I was afraid that we were going to be going down that road with the hipster mystery. But thankfully, it doesn't seem like we are. Um, so I can, my panic has subsided somewhat. And the article, also the header image, is a doctored up version of Nighthawks by Edward Hopper, which is my favorite painting. I love that painting so much. I've written so many uh, papers in college in my art classes on that painting because it was at the Chicago Art Institute. But they doctored it up with like hipster beards and fedoras on the people. I was like, why? <laughs> so this article is kind of breaking my heart in a few different ways, but it is entertaining and it does put an interesting spin on some of these mysteries. I just don't take it too seriously. <laughs> I mean, I think to a certain extent, there is an interesting sort of like very, very minute genre thing happening here because like all of these, like I'm reading through the article or scanning through the synopsis of the books that she has listed in here. And they are basically like all have main characters that are like these based in New York City into very hipstery type things sort of characters in them. So I, I get where the author is coming from. And I think it's a little bit clever that she was able to sort of like pinpoint that trend in these mysteries. No, it is. It is very, it is very clever. I just yeah, but I understand your point. <laughs> I've just got a thing with hipsters. As someone who is hipster Jason, I understand. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, things that might appeal to hipsters. Um, there's a, also been an announcement of an adaptation of the. It's like a paranormal mystery series. Uh, the first book is called Rivers of London, and this is by. Uh, Ben Aronovich. Uh, I don't remember what the name, it might be called the Rivers of London series. I'm actually not sure about that. Um, but yes, this is a series that's based in London. And I've heard like really, really great things about this one, although I haven't read it myself yet. Uh, but it's being adapted by the production company that's set up by Simon Pegg and Nick Brost, who I personally really enjoy their movies a whole lot. Um, so I am very intrigued to see sort of how they uh, play with this. So the Rivers of London series follows this character named Peter Grant, who is an ordinary police constable turned magician's apprentice, and he solves crimes crimes across uh, London. So it's a blend of like urban fantasy, mystery, and a little bit of fantasy. Um, it's a I know it's a really popular series over in the UK, and I have seen it out in uh, the US as well. But yeah, I'm kind of excited about this one, if only because I love Simon Pegg and Nick frost a lot so if they have like a hand in this adaptation i would be super into reading it and then watching this adaptation um but yeah that's all the sort of press release has right now that they have acquired the rights to it so we'll see if anything comes of it and then um in terms of other news items that we have uh the edgar awards and the agatha awards were basically like the day after we recorded last time 
Um, so we just wanted to mention really quickly that the winners have been announced and there are some very exciting winners um, for the Edgar Allan Poe Awards. Walter Mosley ended up winning Best Novel for his book Down the River Unto the Sea, which is very exciting. We'll have links in the show notes to uh, link lists of the of full winners um, so you can sort of browse through it and see if there's anything else that pops out to you. Um, Sadie by Courtney Summers won for Best Young Adult. The things that Katie and I were really excited about is that Sujata Masi won for The Widows of Malabar Hill. She won the Mary Higgins Clark Award. And then she also won at the Agatha Awards. Um, she won Best Historical Novel, which is like super exciting. And she was having like a great week. Um, so yeah, the Agatha Award list we'll have in the show notes as well. Um, another thing that I noticed is that Best First Novel for the Agatha Awards had a tie this year. Um, it's Curses Boiled Again by Sherry Randall and A Lady's Guide to Etiquette and Murder by Diane Freeman, both of which are books that I've heard people talking about and really enjoying. Uh, they're both, I think one of them, I think A Lady's Guide to Etiquette and Murder is a historical mystery and then Curses Boiled Again is a cozy mystery, if you couldn't tell by that sort of title. It has like a lobster on the front. Um, so it's like one of those types of cozy mysteries. But I've actually heard that that one's like really, really entertaining too. Um, so yes, again, the links will be in the show notes so you can check out the full winners list. Uh, but it was kind of exciting to follow the, along with that and see so many people that we know and love winning these awards. I just got the joke in that title. <laughs> <laughs> those quality cozy puns, man. <laughs> Oh, God. Yeah, no, it took me a second. I was just thinking, like, oh, that's a title. I was like, wait a minute, curses, but... Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, man. Okay, well, (laughs) with that, um, it's time for our first sponsor, uh, which is actually a book I'm really excited about. um, The sponsor, one of the sponsors for this episode is Westside by W.M. Akers. The main character in this book is Gilda Carr, who is a young detective who specializes in tiny mysteries, the impossible puzzles that keep us awake at night. Um, These are tiny cases that distract Gilda from her grief and the impossible question that she knows she can't answer, how did my father die? It's 1921 and a 13-mile fence running the length of Broadway splits Manhattan, separating the prosperous east side from the west side, an overgrown wasteland whose hostility to modern technology gives it the flavor of old New York. Only the poor and desperate remain, and it's here that Gilda's tiny mysteries end in blood. It's um, So it takes place in the Jazz Age. It's in full swing with a supernatural twist. The mysteries are they've, they're steeped in the supernatural, shot through with rocket whiskey, jazz, gunfights... I mean, what more could you ask for? Um, Kirkus Reviews gave it a starred review, which if you know Kirkus Reviews, that's pretty impressive. Um, Kirkus said that Westside is bracing, quite possibly hallucination-inducing, and unlike anything you've ever experienced before, the illegitimate love child of Algernon Blackwood and Raymond Chandler, which just sounds awesome. Um, so Gilda Carr is so she's a new uh, female literary detective, um, and her ferocity in the face of adversity makes her a really compelling character to read about. If this bonkers-sounding book sounds like it's up your alley, make sure to check out West Side by W.M. Akers, and we thank them very much for sponsoring this episode. Yeah, I'm legitimately very excited about that book. I saw, or I heard about it like a couple weeks ago, and I was like, ooh, that sounds really interesting. So that's definitely one I have on my list. Yeah, and a lot of readers I know, um, independently, like from Book Riot or just in the library world, they've read this book and they're like, oh man, this book is really cool. So put that one on your radar. All right, um, so for our main topic 
We are going to be talking about kind of another news item that we came across recently. If you follow the two of us on Twitter, you may have seen us talking to each other about it a little bit. Um, And I don't even know where to start. Okay, so basically, uh, there's this publication called The Writer Magazine. I used to subscribe to The Writer, I will have you know. Okay, well, there's that. I had never heard of them before, but that doesn't mean really much of anything. <laughs> um, and they put out a piece recently. Uh, it was an interview with uh, with Lee Child and Paul Dorian, or Doran. Um, and the tweet that they sent out already like caught various people's attention here in the Book Riot world. Because it says, in a genre dominated by two-dimensional sexy sirens and damsels in distress, acclaimed thriller authors Lee Child and Paul Dorian are creating realistic female characters that offer way more than sex appeal. And so (laughs) already we were kind of in shock that this was a tweet that was going out in the Year of Our Lord 2019 because... (laughs) Where have these people been <laughs> for like the past however many years that people have been putting out mysteries? Because it's like, I will admit, mysteries do have a little bit of an issue. There are a lot of people, specifically male writers, who write really terrible female characters. But it's not that difficult to find good female characters in mystery books. And they're not all damsels in distress and uh, whatever else they said. Because <laughs> I... Uh, I just, I just, I, yeah, I mean, and then there's a link to the, yeah, go ahead, Katie, you can go. Uh, the, the f- okay, let me preface my rant by saying my rant is not directed at Lee Child and Paul, Do- and Paul Doron. Yes. I, I mean, I have not read either, I have not read books by either one of them. My rant is not directed at them or the quality of their writing or any of the female characters. I believe that they write dimensional female characters but why are we asking two white male authors about writing dimensional female characters why and okay i'm gonna step back for a second i think the thing that really bugged me is the author of the article who is female she on the first page, I mean, she she says, you know, she re- she likes thrillers, she likes page turning thrillers, and it really throws her off if she, you know, she comes across female characters that are basically, you know, boobs with legs, <laughs> like they're a walking pair of boobs. Um, I think I just came up with the episode title. <laughs> <laughs> if I can get that approved by, <laughs> but I understand that. You know, I understand that. That is definitely a turnoff. And so, and I understand a lot of the the poorly crafted female characters are written by male authors. And so, I, in a way, it kind of makes sense to talk to a couple of male authors. But on the other hand, oh my God, if we want to talk about dim, like three-dimensional nuanced female characters, why is our first thought to go to white male authors? Seriously, they set the bar for everything. Again, not directed at these particular white authors. It's just the general thing. And what really, what really drove me nuts was at the bottom of the first page of the, of the article, she says, both authors seemed genuinely surprised when I honed in on their female characters. It was difficult for them to parse out why they did what they did because to them, it seemed only logical, realistic, and just plain good writing. Yes, I totally agree. I feel like that should be like, why are you asking about this? They're women, you know, 
women are people. We're writing about people, so we're going to do the best we can for both genders, um, or for males and females. And But the last sentence, but inclusiveness is so natural to them that it's no longer something that they consciously manufacture. I'm like, all right, we can pull back a little bit on the simpering here. It's like, why do we have to give the white men gold stars for what should be just like, this should just be a cornerstone of decent writing. You write nuanced characters regardless of their gender. Why do we have to give male authors a, you know, a gold star for this, especially when there are, you know, not only are do we not do the same for female authors? We don't we don't go around praising female authors because they write nuanced male characters, well, that's just kind of expected, but Books written by women often do not get the respect and the acclaim that books written by male authors do. Like, people in the Twitter comments on on this, for this article, they're talking about, like, female authors have been writing romantic suspense for decades. Like, you know, that's, I mean, that's a huge, that's a huge subgenre that combines, you know, nuanced characters, nuanced relationships with suspense, but romantic suspense does not get the same appreciation that that just regular mysteries or thrillers do it's just ridiculous that that we have to that we have to you know if we're going to talk about nuanced female characters let's talk about them but let's stop asking the white men first like please please okay i need to take a break a breather <laughs> yeah i mean i'm kind of in the same camp in the sense of like i kind of understand the point of view in the fact that it feels like it's so rare that you can find white men who are writing or i mean i feel like men in general who male mystery writers who are writing female characters well but at the same time like i it feels like we shouldn't be giving them special treats because they were able to do like pass the test like it feels like you're giving someone a parade because they got a c on an exam <laughs> Because, like, it's just like you were saying, like, in the end, you should just be writing characters who are fully fleshed out and not stereotypes in general, no matter who they are or what the character is in your books. Um, And at this point, like, it feels like it's, I don't want to say it's unnecessary to point these things out, because obviously, like, there are still so many writers who are doing a terrible job at it. So maybe the hope was the fact that, like, hey, here's how you do it well. Like, you don't have, maybe the goal was to be like, hey, you don't have to just be a woman to be able to write women well. Uh, but it it seems so, like, irritating that this is a conversation that we just have to keep having because it should just be like basic writing 101 knowledge of like just write your people like their people no matter who they are where they come from or what their what their background is in general and the other thing that i that i wanted to mention to again like i said i have not read any of their books but the examples that both of the authors give in terms of their in terms of the books that they they've written or their main characters and their in their long running series you know they talk about these female characters and the female characters are always in relationship to the main male characters they're secondary you know they you know they have a supporting role they you know their their presence so ultimately supports the actions of the main character who's driving the plot and the actions of the story Women are not just props for men. Women exist outside of men. 
Like, I don't understand why this is something that has to be reiterated or why it's such a mind-blowing concept or why it can be hard to, you know, why why it's hard for some people to to accept that in the books that they read. I've had, you know, I've had people that come into the library over the years that say they don't want to read books where the main character is like, and they're, they're men, they come in and they say they don't want to read a book where, where that has a female main character. And I'm like, why? (laughs) Why? (laughs) Like women are not, you know, women can exist on their own. Women have interesting lives outside of men, but a lot of people seem to have trouble understanding this. And so that's the other part that, that bothers me about this article is that we're talking about female characters, but we're talking about them in these examples where the women are not taking a starring role. They're not, you know, we're not, we're not getting, you know, a full main character. They may be in there a lot. They may be developed well. You know, they, that, like I said, I have not read the books, but we're talking about them in the context of a male character who is ultimately what the readers are in, who the readers are interested in. And it's, I'm I'm just like, why? Why? Yeah, I don't know if I really have much more I can add to that other than I agree. And it's dumb. And we need to stop giving cookies out for basic decency. Um, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) that's how I feel. Um, But yeah, I feel like there's so many like ways to have this discussion and also to like point out that again I don't know if people just need to widen their reading more and be more open to the types of books that they're reading because there are so many different mystery books out there that feature female characters as the main characters feature them as you know the heroines of the story feature them as the people who are you know sometimes the most complicated and most interesting characters in those stories you know, Katie, when Katie first tweeted the link at me, and she was like, we should talk about this in the episode. And we should talk about like, great mysteries featuring female characters, I replied to her basically saying something along the lines of we basically do that in every episode, because those are the types of books that we're into anyways. Um, So like, if for some reason, you are maybe new here, or (laughs) you haven't been, I don't know, listening very closely. Um, I don't know, that doesn't seem very likely with our listenership. Uh, But it's not that hard to find mysteries with good three dimensional female characters like you have to be doing like literally nothing in order to miss these books at this point, because they are some of the best sellers out there. They are some of the most popular books out there. Um, They are found in every almost every I would say, uh, sub genre of mystery books. Sometimes you have to dig a little bit to find them in certain sub genres. But I feel like no matter where you go, women are starting to dominate this genre. I mean, that's the whole reason why all these dudes are taking on these pen names that are ambiguous. So that way, people think that they're female writers. Um, We've had an entire topic about that as well. So but anyways, I'm going off on a tangent. Um, So I was just gonna say that uh, one of the areas that I've been really enjoying this lately is with historical mysteries. Um, I feel like lately, I've been reading more historical mysteries. And part of the reason why I like it so much is because a lot of the people who are writing historical mysteries right now are setting their mysteries in Um, time periods where women were not able to do as much for obvious reasons. Um, But they have these really great and amazing women at the front and center of their stories and showing how they are 
basically pursuing their dreams no matter what. Um, you know, you think of Amy Stewart's series. Uh, the first one is Girl Waits with Gun. Um, I just read Ovidia Yu's uh, The Fred Japani Tree Mystery, which I will be talking about in like a future episode, um, to Jada Masi, obviously, Jacqueline Winspear, um, Sherry Thomas does her really great uh, gender bend Shakespeare, se- or Shakespeare, uh, Sherlock Holmes series. Um, and all of these like historical mysteries are doing such great things of like talking about um, the way these women are thriving in these fields, in this detective field, uh, despite the fact that they have so many barriers. And it's like so relatable, but also like so inspiring and just really, really great to read. Yeah, I I totally agree. And you know, a fun quick little side note, I realized because I've been I use the um, special book riot reading log to keep track of the books that I read every year. And I was updating it a couple weeks ago. And I realized that without me even consciously thinking about it, 90% of the books that I've read so far this year have been written by women. I like I had no idea. But then I was thinking, and I'm like, Oh, yeah, I have been. And I would and I believe the majority of the books that I have started and have not finished have been written by men. Not all of them, but some of them. Or more a greater proportion of those have been written by have been written by men. So I mean, that just seems to be the way my reading interests have have been going lately. Um but just if I was like, well, this is relevant to our discussion. Um yeah, and I, you know, I feel the same way like you do with historical mysteries. I mean, one of my favorite subgenres, well, A of mysteries and B just in general is psychological suspense. I love me some psychological suspense. Um and like I mentioned earlier, a lot of these novels are being written by women. Um the, obviously there have been psychological suspense novels written, you know, previously um Daphne du Maurier, Shirley Jackson, you know, for some of the older ones. Um, and then as you get into, you know, within the last 10 years, Gillian Flynn is the queen of psychological suspense. I mean, she she just writes, all of her books feature complex, nasty, unlikable in some cases, but she, oh my gosh, does she, like, she totally turns the idea of what it is to be a woman and what it what it is to be like a female character in a story like she really turns that upside down and makes you think about like hey you know what no women are different from men but they can be just as nasty um or they you know it's she she writes fantastic razor sharp psychological suspense but i feel like you know for example gone girl that really kicked off a huge wave of psychological suspense novels which really have has not died down in the seven years or so since Gone Girl was written. Um, so some of my favorite um, psychological suspense novels that I've read recently, um, pretty much anything by Megan Abbott. Um, she, I mean, her books, like the female characters are front and center. Um, same with Tiny Pretty Things by Sonia Chirapotra and Danielle Clayton. Um, the YA uh, duology. <laughs> It's a two book series, um, but you know it takes place at a prestigious ballet school, and if it follows um, three of the main three of the main characters around as they interact with each other, there's a lot of um, you know there's a lot of rivalry and some nasty things that that get nastier as the book goes on. Recently, I know Rincy and I have been muppet arming about this book since before it came out. Um, My sister, the serial killer by Oyinkin Braithwaite, um, which is just this this tiny tiny little little like gut punch of a novel it's 
maybe maybe just over 200 pages but it packs so much into the story so many layers it's it's really biting it's real it's it's darkly humorous uh, emphasis on the dark um it's relatable it brings up so many questions about what it means to be a woman in a different culture um you know there there are all of these novels that are being written and the the thing with with them all is that they're they're, the female characters are at the forefront of the stories. They are telling the stories. They are manipulating the stories. Um, it, the the stories are about them and their relationships with other people. It really, really puts the focus on, you know, on these female characters. But of course, you know, it's sometimes these books like that can be a hard sell for certain readers. And I know that, you know, people can read what they want to read. But I just I just want to say if you're hesitant to read a book where a woman is the main character or where her inner thoughts and her life and her experiences and relationships take center stage, if you're reluctant to read those types of books, sit down and ask yourself why. Because it's like you can ch- you can choose to read whatever books you want, but you have to be honest with yourself and acknowledge that it is a choice that you are making, and you probably will be better off if you if you un- if you acknowledge and understand why you are making that particular choice. I think that's a good place to end it. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so we will have a link to the article as well as the Twitter link, so that way. You guys can uh, check it out for yourself. Feel free to email us, tweet at us your thoughts about it as well. Um, And if you want to just send us some of your favorite female characters in mystery books, feel free to do that as well. All right. So I have our second sponsor for this episode, and that is The Fifth Doctrine. This is the third book in the New York Times bestselling author Karen Roberts' The Guardian series. It took one hell of an effort for the authorities to finally get the jump on master manipulator Bianca St. Ives, but now that they have, it's far from the capture she expected. Instead of taking her in, there's an offer on the table, a one-shot deal that would allow Bianca to walk away scot-free as if they'd never found her, and all she has to do is run one last mission, the kind she may never return from. But if Bianca wants to go back to her normal life in Savannah, it's not like she really has a choice. So this is a book series uh, for fans of James Bond and Jason Bourne. Uh, it's the third book, like I said, in the Guardian series. It features a strong female character, hey, on theme, <laughs> who has been a regular, uh, um, and the author Karen Roberts has been a regular on the bestseller list. Um, this book and the series has gotten rave reviews from Booklist and Publishers Weekly, Um Booklist says that the latest thriller is an enthralling high-stakes caper novel. Readers won't want uh, this adrenaline-rich story to end. Um, And Publishers Weekly says that uh, the delightful, capable, and frequently funny Bianca is an intoxicating combo of Stephanie Plum and James Bond, which I think sounds like a really fun combo. Uh, So again, that book is called The Fifth Doctrine by Karen Robards. Um, Again, it's the third book in the Guardian series, so be aware of that if you are the type of person who likes to read series in order. Um, And we thank them so much for sponsoring this episode. All right. Well, I've gotten some of my angries out. So thank you for listening. Um, And with that, I've got the new releases um, for the next couple of weeks. And we've got some really interesting ones for the next couple of weeks. So I'm very excited about these. Uh, First one uh, for for fans of historical true crime is The Furious Hours, Murder, Fraud, and the Last Trial of Harper Lee by Casey Sepp. 
I believe that's how you pronounce the last name, um, which is comes out today on our recording day. So by the time you hear this, it will um, it will be available to purchase. It is the stunning story of an Alabama serial killer and the true crime book that Harper Lee worked on obsessively in the years after To Kill a Mockingbird. Reverend Willie Maxwell was a rural preacher accused of murdering five of his family members for insurance money in the 1970s. With the help of a savvy lawyer, he escaped justice for years until a relative shot him dead at the funeral of his last victim. Despite hundreds of witnesses, Maxwell's murderer was acquitted, thanks to the same attorney who had previously defended the reverend. Sitting in the audience during the vigilante's trial was Harper Lee, who had traveled from New York City to her native Alabama with the idea of writing her own In Cold Blood, the true crime classic she had helped her friend Truman Capote research 17 years earlier. Lee spent a year in town reporting and many more years working on her own version of the case. So now the uh, the author of Furious Hours brings this story to life from the shocking murder to the courtroom drama to the racial politics of the Deep South. Um, and it's also, so you have that crime element, but it's also a moving portrait of one of the country's most beloved writers and her struggle with fame, success, and the mystery of artistic creativity. Um, if I, I would have to say with the, um, I think we might have a sub sub genre going on, which is the historical true crime with a literary bent to it. Um, cause I feel like we've had a couple related to like Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and, uh, Charles Dickens, um, and stuff. So, um, this seems to be fitting right, right in there. So if that rings a bunch of your bells, make sure to check out Furious Hours, Murder, Fraud, and the Last Trial of Harper Lee by Casey Sepp. Next on my list is If She Wakes by Michael Carita. Uh, this book comes out on May 14th, and uh, main character is Tara Beckley. She's a senior at Hamill College in Maine. Beautiful, beautiful setting to go to school. And as she drives to deliver a visiting professor to a conference, a horrific car accident kills the professor and leaves Tara in a vegetative state. At least so her doctors think. In fact, she's a prisoner of locked-in syndrome, fully alert but in, but unable to move a muscle. Trapped in her body, she learns that someone powerful wants her dead. But why? And what can she do lying in a hospital bed to stop them? Abby Kaplan, an insurance investigator, is hired by the college to look into Tara's case. Um, Abby is a former stunt driver um, who returned home after a disaster in Hollywood, left an actor dead, and her own reputation and nerves shattered. Um, but despite the fog of trauma, she can tell that Tara's car crash was no accident. And when she starts asking questions, things quickly spin out of control, leaving Abby on the run and a mysterious young hitman named Dax Blackwell hard on her heels. Um, if She Wakes is a searing breakneck thriller from one of the genre's best of the best. Um, again, that is If She Wakes by Michael Carita. It comes out on May 14th, 2019. I have read a couple of Michael Carita's um, novels, and um, they they are really good. Um, one of his earlier ones is called uh, So Cold the River, which is a really good suspense horror blend. Um, and the author is also very nice in person. I got to meet him at Book Expo. And he... Um, uh, he, when I got to meet him, he made some comedy. He's like, oh, but we've met before. And I was like, no, we haven't. <laughs> He's like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, I would have remembered. <laughs> so my funny little story about Michael Carita. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, he, his, his books are very good. Um, next 
on the list is, hey, the Satipur Moonstone by Sujata Masi. It comes out May 14th, 2019. We have been talking about this book so much in the last several months, and now it is here for you to purchase, and you totally should. This is the highly anticipated follow-up to The Widows of Malabar Hill. Um, It takes place in India, 1922, during the rainy season. Um, The princely state of Satipur is tucked away in the Sahadri Mountains. A curse seems to have fallen upon the royal family, whose Maharaja died of a sudden illness shortly before his teenage son was struck down in a tragic hunting accident. State is now ruled by an agent of the British Raj on behalf of Satipur's two Maharanis, the Dowager Queen and her daughter-in-law. Uh, The royal ladies are in a dispute over the education of the young crown prince, and a lawyer's counsel is required. But the Maharanis live in Purda and do not speak to men, so just one person can help them, Praveen Mystery, Bombay's only female lawyer. Praveen is determined to bring peace to the royal house, make a sound recommendation for the young prince's future, but she arrives to find that the Satipur Palace is full of cold-blooded power plays and ancient vendettas. And too late, she realizes she has walked into a trap. But whose? And how can she protect the royal children from the palace's deadly curse? This book is amazing. You have royal scandal and intrigue and mysterious deaths, and there's there's so much family drama going on. And it's I loved it so much. I enjoyed it just as much as The Widows of Malabar Hill. Um, I credit this book with breaking me out of a major reading rut um, that thankfully I have not quite fallen back into yet. Um, but again, that is The Set of Poor Moonstone by Sujata Masi. And then finally, we have The Things She's Seen by Ambolin and Ezekiel Molina. This is a thriller that explores the lives and deaths of two girls and what they will do to win justice. Um, nothing's been the same for Beth Teller since the day she died. Her dad is drowning in grief. He's also the only one who has been able to see and hear her since the accident. But now she's got a mystery to solve, a mystery that will hopefully remind her detective father that he needs to reconnect with the living. The case takes them to a remote Australian town where there's been a suspicious fire. All that remains are an unidentifiable body and an unreliable witness found wandering nearby. The witness speaks in riddles. Isabel Ketching has a story to tell, and it's a tale to haunt your dreams, but does it even connect to the case at hand? As Beth and her father unravel the mystery, they find a shocking and heartbreaking story lurking beneath the surface of a small town. And again, that is The Thing She's Seen by Ambulin and Ezekiel Molina. And that comes out on May 14th. And I believe that the authors are indigenous Australians. Yeah, they're aboriginals. There you go. So um, I think that's, you know, that is also a reason to to take a look at this book because you really, we don't come across many aboriginal writers in the United States, especially much less ones that are that are getting some kind of more mainstream publicity behind them from their publishing houses. So, um, so yeah, again, that book is called The Thing She's Seen, um, and that comes out next week. Yeah, I'm glad you found that one, because I hadn't heard of that before. So now that is on my list. <laughs> what I do now during uh, new releases when you're talking is just open up my library website <laughs> and start putting things on hold. <laughs> that is just like the theme of <laughs> what happens every time we record. Yeah, no, I sometimes I'll I'll go back sometimes. I'm like, okay, Goodreads up. <laughs> yeah, seriously. 
All right. Uh, well, to uh, go into the final segment that we have for the episode, uh, some of the things I've been currently reading. Um, I read, like I mentioned earlier in the episode, I read The Frangibani Tree Mystery by Ovidia Yu. I don't actually know if this book is out in the United States, really, because I feel like I never see it anywhere. But within the library system, our libraries, my library system had a copy of it. And when I got the book, it was like the British copy of it. Like it has like the UK publisher information on there. So good luck to anyone in the United States trying to grab a copy of this book. Um, but it's so fantastic. I Next episode, spoiler alert, uh, we're probably going to be talking about um, Asian and Asian American mysteries and mystery writers. Um, so I'm probably going to save like my whole spiel about this book for that episode because it fits. Um, but I really like this book a lot. And there's another one coming out, I think, later this year, the second book in the series. Uh, but it's so fantastic. It takes place in 1930s Singapore. The main character is so wonderful. The mystery was really, really interesting. There was like a twist in the middle, not a twist, but there was a plot point in the middle that I did not see coming. Um, yeah, I just found it to be so delightful and charming. And I really love the main character, Su Lin, a whole lot. Um, so yes, I will just leave it at that for now and talk about it more in the future. But I am all in on this mystery <laughs> series. Um, and then the other book that I've recently finished is Billion Dollar Whale by Tom White and Brady Hope. This book is a uh, nonfiction book. It's basically been getting comps to like bad blood recently. And I think it's mainly because it uh, is like what we at Book Riot have started calling like nonviolent true crime books. Um, it follows this uh, Malaysian man named Joe Lowe who basically siphoned off like billions of dollars through um, what is basically like a Malaysian mutual fund sort of situation. Um, it's this giant financial heist that he pulled off and he's still at large, like he hasn't been caught yet. And so I think Tom Wright and Bradley Hope both work for the Wall Street Journal, I want to say. And I think that they're uh, some of the writers who were reporting on this. And so it this is a really great book um, talking about like, what this guy and his crew were able to pull off, as well as like the ridiculous lives that they led. Um, like there are significant portions of this book that are just talking about like the amount of partying that they did, um, the ways that they spent their money. Um, they ended up starting a production company and produced like some of the biggest movies that have been released recently, like The Wolf on Wall Street, um, Dumb and Dumber 2, <laughs> like Dead, like all of these like really big name movies that people have heard of before were produced by this company. They even bought like, I, I don't know if they bought an entire record company or part of a record company. Um, and like the main character, the main character, <laughs> Joe Lowe, he's an actual person. Um, he like ended up becoming friends with like Leonardo DiCaprio and like Pharrell and like all of these huge A-list people. Like it's one of those stories that's so ridiculous that if it were a fiction book, no one would believe it. Everyone would be like ripping this book to shreds being like, this is so ridiculous. No, this could never happen. Um, but it all actually happened. So yes, if you are someone who liked who likes those sort of true crime books where they're like non-murder true crime books, then I definitely recommend picking up Billion Dollar Whale. It's not as good as Bad Blood. Bad Blood to me is like the gold standard almost when it comes to this little mini genre of true crime. Uh, but if you want more books that uh, fall into that similar vibe, I definitely pick recommend picking up Billion Dollar Whale. Um, and then in terms of what I'm going to be reading soon, I'm not completely sure um, as usual, but I have 
copies of An Elderly Woman is Up to No Good, um, as well as Newcomer by Kigo Higashino out from the library that are due back in the next two weeks, I think, so that those will probably get read. At least one of them needs to get read. (laughs) I mean, An Elderly Woman is Up to No Good is only like 200 pages. It's a tiny book, so I definitely can read it between now and, you know, two weeks from now. So (laughs) that'll probably get done. Yeah. So for me, if you if you follow me on Twitter, you have seen me Muppet Arming about Miracle Creek by Angie Kim. I am also saving this for when for hopefully as long as something we don't have another news item that comes out and delays our our discussions for the episode. We will be talking about Asian and Asian American mystery authors. Holy cow, Miracle Creek was amazing. This is the kind of book that I immediately, like the day after I finished reading it, I went to work and I told like three or four of like my immediate co-workers, like I walked in and I was like, everyone needs to read this book. And I have been book talking it just I have been telling everyone about it. It is so good. Like type of book that I, I just have to like, I, I feel like I just want to run around and hit people upside the head with it until they read it, um, which to me, which for me is the mark of how I know that a book was amazing. So um, I will save my discussion for our next episode. In the meantime, just take my word for it. You want to read it. And then in terms of what I am starting, um, I too have a stack of library books that will need to go back at some point. But I did pick up uh, a book, uh, Evil Things by Katya um, Ivar or Ivar. Um, it's a book translation i featured it on one of my uh book riot lists for like i think it was like new mysteries for the first quarter of 2019 or something like that um takes place in helsinki uh the main character is the first female uh, murder squad detective um in helsinki she's dispatched to a remote village near the soviet border um to investigate an old man's disappearance and it's it's got a lot of it's got it seems like it has a lot of like historical and political undercurrents running through it. There's a lot of um since she's the first female detective, there's a lot of chauvinism and sexism that she has to deal with. She has to defy a lot of male authority. Um and it starts off being what uh appears to be a minor missing person case but kind of mushrooms into something much more corrupt and complex and lots of international intrigue so um it sounds like this is a really kind of dark multi-layered book sounds very interesting i've had it on my radar for a couple of months so hopefully i will get around to it before the due date comes up um and again that's uh evil things by uh katya ivar all right, so that is our show. Thanks so much to everyone for listening. For show notes, you can head over to bookriot.com slash listen, click on the You Read or Dead page, and you can get links to all of the articles that we talked about in this episode, as well as links to all of the books that we have mentioned. Uh, if you have enjoyed the podcast, definitely leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, so that way other people can find us and check us out. Um, as Katie mentioned at the top of the show, if you want to send us comments or questions or show ideas we are always very excited to get any of that um you can email us our email address is red or dead at bookriot.com otherwise you can find me on twitter and instagram i am at rincy a and i'm on twitter at kt underscore library lady and we will talk to you guys next time bye bye